Welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Hello and welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier, the podcast. What an exciting guest we have today, Kevin Phillip, Aloysius Eugene A mate of mine, I have to say. I worked worked with this bloke back in the early 1990s. Well, Kevin Hillier and the D-Generation. Yes, and Rob Sitch was very much a part of the D-Generation, a very important part, though he was a floating member at one stage because he went off back into the bush because he was uh, at university studying medicine Medicine. when he met everybody else in the D-Generation. Uh, so he went off to, uh, I think, Albury or somewhere up there, yeah. up, up on the border, uh, and uh, finished his uh, his year up mm. there to do his, get his degree. He's a qualified doctor and all mm. that stuff. And then went into comedy. And then came back, well, you know, <laughs> doctoring and comedy, they've got a lot in common. He's uh, a very down-to-earth fellow, good, one of those refreshingly bloke. normal types. Yeah, good bloke. Married to Jane Kennedy. Yes. They have four children. Previous guest on this podcast. Exactly right. That's the reason I mentioned it. And uh, Rob, of course... He's starring uh, in the uh, the fifth season of Utopia. I've got a feeling they have five children. As to- they might have. They have another one. <laughs> um, I thought they only had four. I think they might have twins in there. <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, so Rob's starring as Tony, the head of the yes. National Building Authority. This is the fifth season. It debuted uh, this week, so if you haven't uh, seen the first step, go to iView and, uh, and catch up on it. It's a very funny it's series. It's hilarious, Utopia. Great, uh, great cameo characters and in it. And great supporting cast, yeah. Celia Piccolo. Oh, yeah. she's terrific. Uh, uh, Limo's terrific in it. Yeah. Kitty Flanagan. Kitty Flanagan. <laughs> Kitty Flanagan <laughs> she's Rhonda. is bloody brilliant in it. She is She is fantastic. The girl who plays this, the receptionist, yeah. she's good. Dilrick, who, who – Dilrick, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, is it Dave Lawson? I think is uh, the is is Tony's assistant, mm. Rob's assistant. He's really good too. Yeah, it's a very good. Show. But we touch on uh, well, we talk about Utopia, obviously, but we also go take a, a trip back, nostalgia time. We go and we talk about the days of the dish, the days yeah. of the castle, and the days of Frontline. Yes. Good stuff. And then we'll get to our food pile, which is uh, an interesting one, one that I've uh, – I know. You won't like nah, it. No, I just went nut, ticked the nut and moved on. Yeah. Salmon patties. Oh. oh, crispy golden on the outside and fishy on the inside. Well, exactly. Well, it's a, With almost, a nice wodge of mash on the side. Oh, what no, could be better, Kevin? Uh, anything. Got a nice wodge of mash on the inside I'm too. I'm thinking of eating this microphone in preference. <laughs> uh, but I won't. I'll not talk into it anymore and let you hear our terrific interview with Rob Sitch. You're listening to Food Bite. With Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Rob, is this the first uh, foray into a uh, a food related podcast for you? I reckon I've done the odd one before. Oddly enough, Sarah, the, the, one of my massive interests since I was a kid, believe it or not, was wine. Um, and I, my father got given a, a a book of wine of the world when I was eleven or twelve, and and being a, a growing up in the western suburbs and thinking Hillsville was an exotic trip, <laughs> I go I just read it voraciously and, and almost became you know a bit of a thing that the parents drew out to show off their friends. Rob, ask ask Rob anything about wine, and I was about thirteen. Wines and, of and the I've world. I never lost the interest. Sorry. <laughs> Wines of the world. Was there a cellar set up? Was there a lovely collection at your place? Yeah, my dad was into into it, but like all dads, as I've realised, once a kid shows an interest, you 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 try and give it a tailwind because you never know what kids are going to get into. So we drove over to South Australia, all over Victoria, visiting wineries. I was I was sort of almost it was, it was a funny thing. I got a, got a job at Expo Vin. I my first job after school was in wine stores and. Oh. 
No, it was a really big thing for me. So it's all very well to read about it, but did you have a, a you know an educated palate? Did you did you cultivate one of those for wine? Do you know, Kevin? After all these years, I'm, I've, for the last twenty years, I've been in a in a, a wine lunch group that meets pretty seriously two or three times a year. We've done it for two decades, and I reckon I've tried every second great wine of the world. And it, once after I taste it, I go, yeah, it's good. <laughs> There's no flowers of elderberry and hints of licorice, and um, so after all this time, I've my my knowledge has grown. My sophistication has gone backwards. <laughs> what about uh, well pairing wine with food? And are you a foodie in general? I mean, do you know your way around the kitchen? So I'm I'm massively into food and sort of uh, and sort of over the period of time, all cuisines. But um, drifted towards the Mediterranean diet, you know, sort of as a, a long-term thing. But um, so my wife Jane is a massive foodie, and mm. and one of those things that you reach an accommodation as to what you'll watch. Um, so it's we we sort of our détente was uh, football for three nights a week and cooking shows for the other four. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and funny enough, we used to watch Master Chef. In Britain, years before it came here, it was it was a show that had been going for years and years and years. And what's amazing with real foodies? So, I, I've, whenever we travel, we always try to go to an interesting restaurant. Um, and one day, I thought I thought uh, Jane had hit peak interesting when we had, we we had dinner. I had lunch in a cave in Spain, and a, and a guy used to grow these let cows grow and die of old age. <laughs> before he, I know it, food makes. It makes monkey, you know, makes everyone a little bit mad, don't they? Chasing <laughs> produce. But what's interesting about watching food shows with someone who really knows cooking and ingredients is that we'll watch this. Oh, what are you cooking on the show? And I say, Oh, I'm doing, I'm you know, using a chicken, and I'm using a fennel and cinnamon. And Jane will go, They don't go. And I go, What do you mean they don't go? I've never. How do you know? And then five minutes later, the judge comes out and he goes, Fennel and cinnamon? They don't go. And I go, How do foodie people know? <laughs> How do foodie people know things don't go? And I go, And I said, oh, You've never mentioned it before. We've never been in a restaurant before. And then something then, you know, someone will come out and goes, What are you using? I'm using a chicken with a, a, a margarita or, a, you know, mangatine. And again, Jane goes, oh, I don't like that ingredient. I've, got, I've never heard of the ingredient. <laughs> Is it and a little Josh bit – will come up and go, yeah, he'll come up and go, oh, that's a difficult ingredient. I go, how does every foodie in the world know what that damn ingredient was? And I've never heard of it. Is that a bit intimidating then, being married to someone like Jane, who's uh, who's obviously quite next level when it comes to all things, you know, culinary? Yeah, you realise you realize people – I mean, it's, we've seen this with all the chefs is that – that's again. It's it's you know I've had known a few fairly serious chefs over the period of time, and that's a common thing again. At you know eleven, twelve, thirteen, they wake up one day and go, "All I want to be is in a kitchen," and and so sometimes it's another really interesting thing. We'll watch uh, the show, and Jane will say, "Oh, he hasn't travelled enough," mm-hmm. and there's a lot of these. You notice about all this modern band of chefs, they've Worked all over the world. Yeah. That seems to be the common thing. So we've established that your wine palate hasn't uh, matured. Uh, <laughs> so where's so and given that you know Jane obviously is the cook in the house, I would assume for the most part. Uh, so where's your where's your palate in terms of food? Is that a refined palate or are you <laughs> you know a meat and three veg boy? 
Now I've only got one adjective, Kevin. It's it's good. That was good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> funny enough, I do love certain cuisines. I love Japanese cuisine and always have not and went have been a few times. And my sort of rule was, um, it's impossible to have a bad meal in Tokyo. Um, and and you, we were there in January this year, and we we went five floors up a tiny little shoebox in Ginza. And in this crowded little place, and with a you know a paper menu, and the food was absolutely stunning. And oh, they wow. and again you you discover something, and they cook a they've got this way of cooking chicken in a weird rice cooker with wood. On. It's 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 an intricate cuisine, um, but it's a wonderful cuisine. Yeah. Well, we've established your wine palate. Do, are you a coffee drinker, Rob? So here's I think. <laughs> I think I'm about to embarrass myself again. I am a huge coffee drinker, but again, I uh, everyone I know is fussy, and I reckon you could still put Nescafe into the Gajia machine and trick me because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, literally there is Melbourne is Melbourne's a nightmare for that now. I was I took I've got twin boys, and I, about four or five years ago, I took them. Um, to New York, a bit of a thing with our kids. They, you know, once they turn a certain age, they can go anywhere. And I was walking down the street in New York, and I saw St Kilda Cafe. And I stopped and walked in there, and the person at the desk had a an American accent. And I said, "Oh, why are you called St Kilda?" And she sort of heard my accent. And said, "The owner spent two years in Australia and fell in love with the, the Melbourne coffee culture." Mm-hmm. And came back to New York to open a Melbourne-style cafe. Oh wow! We're, <laughs> we we do consider. I mean, we are a bit snobbish, aren't we, in Melbourne when it comes to the old um, coffee culture? I, oh, it's just phenomenal. <laughs> it's just I sort of I don't know that when, once I don't know that it's not just that it has to be a Colombian bean; it has to be from a certain altitude. You've lost me at that point. I, <laughs> well, that- until Nespresso come out with. A high-altitude Colombian, I'm done. <laughs> well, that would be the perfect place uh, for the National Building Authority to, to come in, wouldn't it? And, uh, and you know, put their uh, sort of uh, their stamp on, uh, on the coffee building industry. <laughs> do, you, do you know, Kevin, coffee's got a really big um, history in what we've done. Michael Hirsch, who's been one of my partners for years and years and years, when we did the castle, we didn't have a big budget. And he'd been on produced movies before, and he said, "I'm telling you, let's." The, the garage of the house where we shot was available. He, he knew someone in the coffee industry, and he got a full Gudgia coffee machine put in the garage, and got a the the runner, you know, which is the most junior kid on a, a film set, to be the barista, <laughs> and would walk around to people and take coffee orders. <laughs> And, you know, this is 30 years ago and people back then, you know, it wasn't and – and it was – everyone said the number one thing they loved about the, the set was that you had, you know, had barista coffee um, every day for the whole shoot. <laughs> wow, that's ahead of its time. <laughs> I know, it was, oh, look, it was amazing because it was to distract people on the poor pay. Absolutely smoke and mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, smoke and mirrors. Hey, the fifth season of uh, Utopia. Uh, I reckon you must love playing Tony uh, because he's he's such a a likable uh, yet flawed character. Mm-hmm. 
he's in a perpetual state of frustration. I used to say, like, you know, when we started work, there was nothing it was nothing for your boss to yell at you. That was sort of, you know, um, now you, now no one can yell at anyone. I mean, if you even if you correct someone, you have to do it in the form of three warnings. <laughs> and so a lot of the modern office is this this air of disciplined frustration, but no one can actually get angry. And so he he sort of personified, once you've hired somebody, the sacking process is so hard, you may as well put up with them. Yeah. And so it's sort of based around that developing development in the modern office. When you talk about the the modern office, um, Rob, what I love about Utopia is that on the one hand you might be talking about you know your multi billion dollar building projects, and the next it's oh does the birthday cake in the staff room you know meet the OH and S sort of requirements? <laughs> it's that a wonderful mix. A, <laughs> it's a, such a feature there of modern offices is the minute and the and and the huge. It's it's you know a twenty billion dollar price tag on something, and you're worrying about the the farewell card <laughs> of the, the guy that's leaving who you can't remember his name, and so it's it's like a tyranny of these tiny things. So we've always had an office, um, and we noticed things. We've always said even Frontline and was an office sort of an office comedy, a fifty percent office comedy. This is an office comedy. And offices are where all these little etiquettes and 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 little 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 ways of that you get driven mad by HR. This is where they all get developed and they keep new ways keep getting invented to frustrate um, managers. Yeah. So we've and we get a few from our own office. We we the courier that stuffs it up, the the person that comes to fix it that doesn't fix it. It's it's there was a, a scene in the castle, which was me, which was Dennis Denuto yelling at a photocopier machine, and that came because one day I I've effing pulled out a four, I did f, and I looked around in the office. The office was laughing at me, and I go, "Not funny!" And uh, <laughs> it was. <laughs> hey, Rob, comedy loves bureaucracy, doesn't it? I mean, it's just the that's it the it's the wonderful entree to layer upon layer of not getting anything done. <laughs> yeah, it was so comedy loves yeah it loves high status falls, so people that trip with with self importance. So, you know, even so, like a film like. I don't know, trading places with Eddie Murphy. Yep. It's really based on on you know high class, high end people taking a huge tumble against the the battler. Um, and it's sort of the other thing that about Utopia is is it's it's sort of it's clever people being stupid, <laughs> and, and that seems to be quite nourishing. Yeah, we love that. And Rob, I mean, you yourself, you love um, absurd comedy, so therefore Utopia certainly fits. The bill when it comes to absurdity. Yeah, well, there's one. Um, there's little things you notice. I thought oh, we've never done something. This is about a couple of series ago. We never done something on defence, and I heard oh, the new defence white paper um, just got released. And if you've never read a defence white paper, you're a lucky person because <laughs> they're virtually unreadable and they're very long. So I got one and I started sitting down and I'm reading. And at the end of 100 pages, I said, I actually don't know what they're saying. And then I realized, oh, that's the episode. So we came up with this idea that, you know, another one trading partner is China. And so that the defense white paper in the 
the pivot to the Indo-Pacific region was to protect our trade routes with China from China. <laughs> and so when, once we came up with that sort of insight, I mean, the sort of the episode wrote itself. Yeah. Haven't a couple of things that you've done in Utopia actually come true in terms of <laughs> – wasn't there a Tasmanian connection about something that you said on yeah, the show? Yeah, so that- the first series, Kevin, we, we wanted to do – all around the world, stadium building is is a political decision by states and cities, and 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 all sorts of sporting organisations try to get somebody else to pay for it. So we thought, oh, what's the most absurd place to build a billion dollar stadium? And we came up with Hobart. <laughs> and so we said, how can you hide the fact that it's only going to be there for eight footy games a year? And we came up with the term a multi-purpose stadium, and and played on all of that. So. Lo and behold, seven years later, um, there's the Prime Minister and the Premier announcing a multi-purpose stadium. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost spooky, isn't it? It is. It is spooky. Um, Rob, you've touched a couple of times there on the the front line uh, days. Do people still want to talk to you about the the Mike Moore character and the show in general? Yeah, they do because everyone thinks it was this person or that person. It really wasn't. I, I sort of invented the backstory that he came from Bunbury in WA, and but it was it was it was it was just a combination of of sort of news news readery type talking heads. But after we finished the final series, I. I used to, people would approach you, could you record something for a charity event? And I go, oh, bloody hell, I've still got the Mike Moore wig. I'll, I'll. We had a green screen. And so I used to pretend that Mike Moore was still going somewhere else in the world. And I think by the last one I did, he ended up um, hosting an Asia-Pacific chat show in Auckland on a cable <laughs> channel. <laughs> so where does, where does that mean Tony Woodford's going to finish up? Oh. He, he's in a perpetual state of of he's in Groundhog Day. He will never. He will. He's his Bill Murray in Groundhog Day, and the music never changes at six a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about. We've touched on uh, on the castle and another um, movie that that so many of us think of so fondly when we remember it. The uh, the dish. We oh, spoke yeah. to uh, Kevin Harrington not that long ago, Robin. Oh, yeah, he yeah. talked about the scene um, actually playing cricket. Uh, in the actual yeah. or on the dish, and he yeah. he said um, that you mentioned him at the time. That in terms of making movies, that was a particular highlight for you because you actually did it. You actually got up, climbed up there, and did it. Whereas you yeah. could have done all the special yeah. effects or whatever, but did we it the did. traditional I tell you way. What. Yeah, no, and it was six and very out. Um, <laughs> we ran out of we ran out of tennis balls. Um, it was look, it was that was a great thing because we had to approach the CSIRO and, and they made themselves available. So it was a really weird thing. There was a couple of German radio astronomers searching for black holes overnight, and a bit like the two dogs in the cartoon, Night Ralph, Night Frank. And we we turn up, they'd leave, um, and it was just a sort of a magic thing up up there. We funny enough, we you know when you the biggest thing when you base a story on on real events is they always say do not make a documentary because people don't want to see a documentary what they want to see they want to feel the feelings of it and so you have to so one of the things that we shrank was there were actually three big dishes in the world madrid california and and parks in australia and we thought look let's write madrid out because it's too hard to explain to the triumvirate anyway so we said it's california anyway no one ever raised it with us. It, the film was released in Spain, in Madrid, uh-huh. and the Madrid newspaper I spoke to they never, they didn't even raise it. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, sort of about six months after all of that, we received a letter from Neil Armstrong, who um, 
had gone to see it and wrote to us, and it was a really charming and absolutely lovely letter. But the final paragraph, he said, mind you, I'm not sure how the people of Spain feel being written out of out of the role of He was the only person to ever mention it. Wow. Well, it's probably the person that most affected. <laughs> when you yeah, yeah. And, and you wonder why he was the commander of Apollo 11. Yeah. I think there's your answer. His attention to detail was pretty good. Oh, wow. Hey, Utopia started as a one-season idea. You thought it might you might it get did. a season out of it, and now well, yeah. I mean, we're about to launch the fifth season. Um, is there is there more running the the legs still? Well, at the end of the first season, it's funny how you you know humans aren't very good at predicting things. Tom and I looked at each other and go, "That's definitely a one season show." But what happens is when you get characters in your head and you you know you keep living and experiencing infrastructure just by walking around the streets, ideas just kept popping up, and then. Sort of a year later, we looked at each other and said, oh, there's a great series here. And so then we thought it'd only be two. So it's been a – the good thing is that we leave it – between each series, we leave a longer gap. And COVID, in a weird way, one of the silver linings for us is it gave us a really long gap, almost four years. So that was a a benefit to us. Well, Rob, usually to wind up our uh, our show, we like to ask our guest – if they have a uh, kitchen or a cooking tip to share. Do you have one of those? I know how to make a pepper sauce now, Sarah. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, and simpler than you think. Oh. Because if you look up, you know, Google, everyone over, they just take something basic and add to shallots and this and that and that. And Jane told me, no, you, you have to, you've got to get real peppercorns, black peppercorns, uh, mortar and pestle them, like crush them, mm. and then cook them without burning them in butter, um, and then burn off brandy, and then add cream, and then add the meat juices. And I'm telling you, it is so basic and so delicious. It's amazing. Kevin's just, writing it down. Just checking that with the OH&S people <laughs> to see if it uh, comes under all the specs. That's a, oh, that sounds amazing. That's a, that's a very nice tip. And have, have, you've, yeah. you've actually done it and, and – Done it. I've done it a bunch of times, um, and steak au poivre, as the French call it, and you get a fillet steak. And you, if you rest the steak, the, the, the juice, even in the fillet, will come out, and that just adds that little bit of bit more depth of flavour to it. Um, oh. You just beautiful. made that name up, didn't you? No, poivre is the French word for uh, for, <laughs> for poivre. French word for pepper. <laughs> I bet you don't uh, cremate your steaks the way that Kevin does his. No, I go. I'm. I'm pretty. They're not mooing, but they're not far off. Ah, blue almost. <laughs> so, how much of Rob Sitges in Tony Woodford? Oh. It's sort of. I think you bring a little bit of everything into you. It's certainly it's uh, the cranky side, the controlled cranky side is something I'm pretty. I'm, I think I'm off scratch. I've got a black belt in that. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny, you know, I used to, one of the things that when I do get cranky is about people learning lines. It's my one, I'm sort of the dark lord of line learning. I, I, I must admit, I, you don't want to see my scowl when, when someone hasn't done that probably. But then I, uh, Kitty Flanagan invited me to do a role on Fisk. And, oh, my God, the terror I had. Imagine if I turned up and I didn't know, made a mistake on set after I've terrorised everyone else. <laughs> hey, you've done, uh, you know, we talked about all the things that you've done with the the dish and the castle and uh, all, all the all the sort of genres, frontline, uh, the hollow men, all those. 
You've never done a you've never done a, like a, a a cooking show. Is that oh. one that just sort of? No, I never have. Funny enough, I I look at it. It's again, if you if you watch you know cooking and food shows with a, a real foodie. It's it, it, you just realise it's almost like you know when you hear about guys that played under nineteen AFL and then they go what happened he goes I just realised I'm not up to it yep. <laughs> I realise I'm not up to AFL standard <laughs> and also I tell you I I did see a series recently that I I've always loved Rick Stein um, but again a professional chef I did see a series recently with an amateur at the helm and it's brilliant is Stanley Tucci's Italy. Oh, yes. he's a great actor. Absolutely I love him. Absolutely brilliant. He's brilliant. Um, and the series is brilliant. He goes to every single region of of Italy um, and he brings in history and he brings in the local regional culture. Ooh. And and he and he presents it. It was done for CNN, I think, or something. But anyway, I, I highly recommend that. Oh, there you go. You're just, you're just frightened you'll chop your fingers off in one of those scenes. <laughs> that's what I reckon. Oh, no, I'm a, I'm a, I think I'm at the clutch end of, of, of capable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rob, thanks so much uh, for spending some time with us on Food Bites, mate. Good luck with uh, this season of Utopia. I'm sure it'll be every bit as entertaining, amusing and, uh, and <laughs> terrific as, uh, as the other seasons have been. Thank- Love the show. And uh, thanks for uh, being on Food Bites. Thank you. Uh, lovely talking to you both. Anytime. Thanks. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Uh, it's Catch Utopia, <laughs> Season 5 on Ivy. If you missed the first step, catch up on it and then watch it uh, on Wednesday nights on the ABC. Very, yes. very, very And if you're funny looking for series. something to do, do what Kevin and I did just a few weeks ago and watch the whole back series of Frontline. Yeah, we did. It's only about 30-something episodes. <laughs> it was very funny. Oh, Terry O'Mora was very, very funny. Yes, he was Martin very good. Martin Anyway, I digress. All right, salmon patties. Salmon patties were a staple of my childhood. I love them. Mashed potato, canned salmon and... And breadcrumbs on the outside, shallow fried. And, and Artie starts us by saying, not a fish fan, so it has to be nay. Sue Landry says, yeah, nah. They always look so good, but nah. Rebecca says, I wasn't a fan of seafood even before <laughs> I went vegan. John Vertigan says, memories of my mum too. Yay for him. Terry says, yay. Silvana, yes. Muriel says, that's a yay. Yes, for Karen, it's a yay. Steve Bastoni says, yes, with aioli. Oh, yeah. Jim Wilson says, well, can I sub in tuna for salmon or Jim. or a Thai fish cake, asks Jim. Then it's a yes for him. Well, great. That wasn't the question <laughs> that we asked, Jim, but never mind. Uh, on the flat from Twitter says grubby stuff. Uh, Kathy Vischer, wife of our producer extraordinaire, Steve, says yay. Pete says, nah, sorry, oh. don't like any form of seafood. Dan Smith says it is a big yay for him. Leonie says yay. Daz Smith, boy, oh boy, this takes me back to my dear old mum and her patties. So much yay. Lydia says yay. Sue Hosking says nay and blah. Old croaky. Oh. Old croaky. <laughs> says yes, please, yummo. Mark Stevens, hell yeah. Jane Holmes says ooh, yes. The great Murph Hughes, most definitely a yay. Davin says yes, mum makes the best ones. There you go. Joe says yay. And Glenn Rodder says bloody oath, Pat, i got to learn how to make them though. Not too hard, Glenn. I'll give you 
you a lesson one day. Well, are they easy to make or not? Yeah, you just mash potato. Mash potato and canned alley pink or red salmon. Squash them around. You can put some canned corn in there. You can put some chopped fresh fat fat leaf. So you can make them like a fritter fritter or a – Well, you you didn't let me get to the coating stage. And then you coat them in flour, then egg and breadcrumbs like you would a fish fillet. And then you pan fry them. Okay. Yeah, I don't like salmon. You look like you might like to sample them. No, I don't like salmon. I don't like the texture of salmon. I don't particularly like the smell of salmon. Oh, Kevin. A bit fishy. Add it to the long list of things that Kevin won't eat. Yeah, but I like fish. I love fish. You know I love flake. You know I love whiting. But uh, But you don't love the best fish of all, which is salmon. No. No, The greatest, the greatest fish of the sea. I am in the minority. You are. I am because only 18% Mm. said no and 82%. Said yes. As well they should. I thought yes. they would. Massive yes for uh, salmon patties. Well, I think in winter you can't get anything more uh, comforting and reassuring and substantial. Can I say the photo that you put up on Facebook mm. was very, Beautiful. very appetising. Very appetising. Look at you went, oh, and then I went salmon. No. Oh, see, you know what, Kevin? If I made them for you and I took the um, the salmon out, they would just be potato patties. You'd probably eat those. I'd eat potato patties. I'd eat, yeah, I know I'd eat that. I'd eat anything up there, almost anything in there. But so I'm not a big uh, fish cake person either. I don't, I don't particularly like fish mm. in that. I like fish um, pan fried. You know what I've thought of doing as a, as a twist on your traditional salmon patties? Instead of putting salmon in there, I put a whole jar of anchovies in there. That brings to an end <laughs> our entire relationship, let alone let alone this podcast. That's it. We're done. We're finished. We're cooked. The really hairy ones. Oh, good be, be night, salty. Irene. It's been fantastic. It's been great. Uh, Can't and, wait till next week. Oh, next week's episode should be great. No idea who's hosting it, but, you know, good luck. <laughs> See ya. Thanks for listening to Food Bites. Check out our Facebook page for recipes, tips, and all the latest news. That's Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Oh, Kevin.